Hello and welcome to Fun Fact Collectors. I'm Bradley. And I'm Jadrian. Some people collect stamps, some people collect coins. We collect fun facts, and now you do too. Welcome to the club, nerd. Okay, so before we get into my topic for today, um, I just want to say a big thank you from us to everybody who has listened to the podcast so far. We're not going to drag it out, but... For you, this is episode five. For us, this is the first episode we have recorded since launching. And we just appreciate everybody's support and kind words. This is just something fun that we're doing because our friends want a break from hearing about all of the topics we want to scream fun facts at them about. Uh, and so now we scream them at you. Exactly. And now we get to send them podcasts and be like, did you listen to the episode yet? And I think I was sharing tea before the podcast, but I, I'm kind of surprised to see the geographic distribution of people that are listening to us. So all of our fans from like Minnesota and, and I think was there a Dakota in there? Like I, I'm curious. Arizona? To, yeah, I'm curious to hear how people heard about us. Like uh, email us. Yeah, email us at headnerds at funfactclutter.com. Hit us up on the Twitters or the Instagrams. Okay. All right, topics. After, yeah, after all that mushy stuff, whatever, whatever, whatever. Okay. So, give the people what they want. We have come out on this podcast publicly several times hating colonialism. It's the colonialism episode. <laughs> no, this is not okay. the colonialism <laughs> episode. But just for the record, we hate colonialism. But that said, I have a confession, which is that ever since a very young age, I don't remember how it started. I have always been very into um, Tudors, Henry VIII, <laughs> and then specifically Queen Elizabeth I, but basically the whole era from like 1500 to 1650. I'm not going to say what the is, but I my birthday is the same date as a very significant date in Queen Elizabeth I's life. Um, and for some reason as a child, and I'm talking like 10 years old, I really identified with that. <laughs> and I used to call her my personal hero. Um, she was my favorite historical figure. I would say that I love this era of history and the royalty at play, like the way some people love Kardashians. I love to consume <laughs> it. I just, I don't think they should run a country, but I love to consume it. And you're correct. I did not have very many friends as a child. Um, but anyway, so today I'm going to tell you about, I guess, about that whole era. But specifically, I'm going to tell you about the shortest reign in English history. Do you happen to know which monarch that would have been? I, uh, I don't know. Probably a James or... Uh, uh, Henry, really only because there's so many of them. I don't um, know offhand. So yeah, no, I don't know. Okay, this is going to be. I'll, cool I'll give it to you <laughs> because I know like way too much about this. Like I said, <laughs> like I have multiple different fictionalized novels of retellings of this era, um, and I'm very into it. And I was worried you would already know everything about it, so I'm glad that this is new. No, that's actually a topic that I've never really gone super into is like english history um obviously I, I know like the main beats but i don't have like a good like continuous timeline like i i couldn't really sit down and draw your timeline I'm like yeah like i know the war of the roses is a thing i know you know like the the english surrender of maine to the french is a thing that happened 
but trying to like put all the actually sorry i do know that the war of the roses happens after that only from playing eu4 <laughs> <laughs> okay no. well i i would say i have a pretty strong foundation because of this obsession yeah because you love colonialism first. yes no <laughs> But also because, as I've mentioned at least once, I have an English degree. I studied Shakespeare. A lot of the purpose of studying Shakespeare is studying English history. And you kind of, I also took, you know, Arts 1000. You have to basically go through the whole timeline from ancient Rome up to basically 1900. So anyway, I have a strong foundation. Hey, everyone. Edit Brad here. Just adding a quick content warning. Uh, we are talking about medieval inheritance and childbearing. So unfortunately, infant death does come up a few times in this episode, but it is by no means the focus. Okay, back to the content. I originally was not planning on including this, but I thought after your stories last week about the Vikings, mm-hmm. I would give us a very abbreviated timeline of all the way from kind of about the time period that you were talking about up to the time period that I'm talking about. Yeah, that fits. Yeah. So I I kind of picked and chose which monarchs I wanted to include, just because they're not really the subject of this podcast. So we're going to skip some, but we're going to start with the Saxon kings. First Anglo-Saxon king, 1827 to, sorry, 827 (laughs) to 839. His name was Egbert. And then following them, I'm not going to read the years off for all of them. We have Aethelwolf, Aethelbald, Aethelbert, Aethelred the First. I'm going <laughs> to skip a couple. Aethelstan, skip a couple. Edwig, which is E A D W I G, skip a couple. And then we have Aethelred the Second or Aethelred the Unready. <laughs> which, which was just such a drive-by i had to include the unready please like, tell me they had to take the throne at like age one and that they're not like 27 and their dad's like you'll never be ready to take the throne i um, hereby christen you ethelbert the unready it's kind of both it's kind of oh, a mix. No. <laughs> it does get a pass i will say that i chose to include the rest of them because they had interesting names i skipped all the ones that were like edwin edmund nobody okay. cares we want to care about edwig <laughs> so ethelred the unready uh became king at age 10 um and he was called the unready because when the danes invaded he fled to normandy and he couldn't fight them off mm. So then we skip some, and then we get into the Norman kings. Sorry, what was the year? Uh, uh, the sorry. unready fled. The to unready. Normandy? Um, so he reigned from nine seventy eight to ten sixteen. So now huh. we're kind of getting up to we're in Viking era. Yeah. So he so he would have he would be like oh no the Vikings are showing up let me go to Normandy which as we all discussed last episode is just Viking light. <laughs> yes. So then we have the Norman Norman kings. So we have William the First or William the Conqueror. He's the first mm-hmm. Norman king. Uh, definitely learned about him in my education. He's also called William the Bastard because he's the illegitimate son of Robert the Devil. I didn't look <laughs> the <anymore>. devil. <laughs> I didn't look any more into Robert the Devil, but I just thought that was really hardcore. And then you may have heard the Battle of Hastings. He won that. And then we get into the and please bear with me, the Plantagenet kings, Richard I, the Lionheart, which you may know from Robin Hood. Um, he's a Crusader. crusader. 
Yeah, he spent all but six months of his rule out of the country. And his royal house originally comes from Anjou, France. And then we have John, who was his young, Richard's younger brother, who you might also know from Robin Hood. And to be clear, when I say Robin Hood, I do mean the Disney version with the fox. <laughs> yeah, so he's the younger seen. brother. You've never seen it? No. Well, I, I'm sure I've seen bits and pieces, but I've never... I, I couldn't tell you the plot other than just wild shots in the dark. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah, next movie night. Wow, you got to add that. Okay. John is the younger brother to Richard. He's very jealous of his older brother. He's, in his life, excommunicated by the Pope. He signed the Magna Carta. He was considered the worst English king in history, which um, let's just say it's a competition to be the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> and he won. And then we get into, skip a few, the monarchs of England and Wales. We have Edward II in, from 1307 to 1327. He was deposed. If you hmm. don't know what deposed means, it means removed from office suddenly and forcefully. Edward II was deposed by his wife and her lover, murdered legend says by having a red hot poker thrust up his bum so i would describe that as sudden and forceful yeah (laughs) (laughs) we skip a few uh we get to richard ii uh which is 1377 to 1399 you may know him from the shakespeare play shakespeare has a whole collection Mm. of histories and richard ii is i think I don't know if it's the earliest history in terms of like when he was writing the plays but it's the earliest in terms of the the time period that the characters are living in Mm -hmm. we go into house of lancaster so henry lancaster also known as henry the fourth shakespeare wrote two plays on this guy like there's a lot of shakespeare involved we skip into the house of york edward v um 1483 to 1483 he was became king at age 13 and he reigned for only two months um he is most well known him and his brother for haunting the Tower of London. He and his brother were murdered in the Tower of London. They're referred to as the princes of the Tower. And they were probably murdered by their uncle, who declared them illegitimate and then crowned himself king. And that is Richard III. And then we get to the Tudors. So in order, because I mean, even though you're not super familiar with this period in history, you must know the big thing with the Tudors is the religious conflict. You know the establishment of Protestantism. Yeah, is Church it, of England is so. Is Henry the Eighth a Tudor when he creates the yes. Church of England? Yes, okay. he's a Tudor. He's one of yeah. the Tudor kings. But before we can get to Henry the Eighth, we start with Henry the Seventh. Okay. He rules from fourteen eighty five to fifteen o nine. Richard the Third, who you remember killed the little boys, dies in battle, and the everything I read just said they picked the crown up in battle and put it on Henry Tudor's head. So, what way to become king? Hmm. Wait, um, sorry, sorry. Was he in the line of succession at all? I don't believe or he so. Was just, he was just the closest person with a head. Yeah, guess so. I'm not really clear on that. Maybe we'll huh. put that in follow-up. But that was yeah. how it was described in several sources. Okay. So. I guess, before we get any further, the burning mm-hmm. question I have. Mm-hmm. Tudor versus tutor. It's T-U-D-O-R-S. No, yeah, yeah, I know the spelling. You know me. I like words. Mm. Is is there a, a common root to them? <laughs> I don't know. Like um, it, it, now we can put it in follow-up. I'm going to put it in. Okay. So Henry Tudor becomes king in battle. 
he marries Elizabeth York. So Elizabeth York is of House of York, aka the like Richard the Third and Edward the Fifth. Like she's she's yeah. in that family. And so he unites the households. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, playing cards were invented during Henry the Seventh's reign. And so mm. Elizabeth York is the queen on all of the decks of cards as, you know, the standard deck huh. of cards that we know today. For all yeah, the suits? Yeah, I have a... Yeah, for all of the suits. Huh. It's like her portrait that's, you know, hmm. altered for each of, the, each of the pictures. I have pictures and we'll put them on instagram and whatever after yeah it's really cool you can see the portrait side by side and you can definitely see where they get that from that's interesting yeah she has been yeah she's been in decks of cards for the last like several hundred years what a legacy Mm, truly okay this that's all the backstory now we are on to the juicy stuff henry the (laughs) eighth so he rules from 1509 to 1547 He's born in 1491, and he's the second son. He was never destined to rule, and his father made sure that he knew it. (laughs) 1501, his older brother Arthur, who is to inherit the throne, Prince of Wales, marries Catherine of Aragon to create an alliance with Spain. Mm -hmm. Um, There's going to be a lot of people in this, and a lot of them have the same name. So I'm going to do my best to clarify, but if you're ever confused about which one is which, just ask. Yeah. So Arthur marries Catherine of Aragon. Yeah. 1502. One year later, Arthur, at age 15, dies of sweating sickness, which is a a real thing. (laughs) There's a podcast, Sawbones, who did a whole episode on sweating sickness and how it changed the course of history. And it's so interesting. Is it it one of those diseases they call something like quirky and old timey, but today has a more like serious medical name? I don't think it's really something that we have anymore. Yeah, okay. But it is kind of like a type of fever-based Okay, illness. so it's not like, it's not like old-timey, it's not like, like a heart attack. No, no, yeah, no. Okay. It's, it, no, it's different. Oh. It's a legitimate illness that okay. we call sweating sickness. So I shouldn't make jokes about it then. Correct. <laughs> Henry is 10 when his brother dies. Mm-hmm. A year later, Henry is engaged to Catherine, his brother's <laughs> widow. But they don't get married. There are some complications um henry doesn't want to marry her um there's a whole thing where like her mom is really pushing for the alliance but her mom dies and then her dad doesn't want the alliance it's a whole thing but basically what we get to 1509 six years later henry is age 17 he inherits the throne and he decides yes he will marry Catherine, who is 23 at the time wow love truly does prevail yeah, um, I think it was more like an obligation thing. He felt like it was his duty to marry her. And what happens is like, he's obviously very young. His father gets sick and dies. And he says, yeah, I'm going to marry her because it was my dad's dying wish. But there's no evidence that that was the case. Mm-hmm. Either way, they're married. 15, 16, their daughter, Mary, is born. She's their only surviving child. I will put... Maybe we should have put this at the top, but we do have a small trigger warning. There is a lot of um, miscarriages, stillborns, infant deaths in this story, as is very common in this time period. But just so you know, that is a theme going throughout this. Mary is their only surviving child. Um, Sometime around 1520, Henry starts having an affair with a woman named Mary Boleyn um, and potentially fathers two of her children, but he doesn't acknowledge them. So sorry, you said Mary Boleyn. Yes. I don't know all the wives, 
But isn't there an Anne Boleyn? 1522. Anne Boleyn. <laughs> okay. Mary's sister comes to court. I wrote to be part of Queen Catherine's posse. She was like a lady in waiting. So after Henry has this affair with um, Anne's sister, Anne rolls in straight out of the French court and mm-hmm. is like, what's up? I'm really cool. And he <laughs> buys it immediately. <laughs> Part of it is because, like, she's described as not being as pretty as her sister Mary, um, but she's very, she has, like, learned the art of seduction from the French court. And so she comes in and he's like, we should bone. I'm the king. And she's like, no, I'm not going to bone you just because you're the king. And, of course, because she he wants her and can't have her, immediately he's driven wildly in love. So 1525. Henry becomes convinced that he hasn't had a son with his wife, Catherine, because God cursed their marriage because he, quote unquote, married his sister. So Catherine, having married Henry's brother, created something called an affinity between them. Hmm. And because of that, the relationship, he decides he does like a total 180. God's not happy with me. This is why we aren't having kids. We got to get out of it. So 1527... He says, let me get rid of this marriage. Pope says, yeah. uh-uh. 1529, yeah. he says, please let me. Pope says, no way, Jose. The Pope is probably pressured by the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V, who, by the way, was Catherine's nephew. <laughs> so they won't grant him a divorce. 1531, Henry kicks Catherine out, sends her into exile and like i mean i'm sure what was still a very nice like country estate but kicks her out and gives all her stuff to anne boleyn so we move in now to the era of anne boleyn i should have said at the beginning i assume that you know henry the eighth had six wives i knew he had a number i wasn't yeah. sure if it was six offhand that's kind of like one of the things and then there's there's a, a common nursery rhyme that children use to remember which was which um and if you are into musical theater, there is also a very viral Broadway show right now. I believe that's called Six, and it's about the Six Wives of Henry VIII. Um, but anyway, we did Era One, Wife One, Catherine of Aragon. Now we're on to Era Two, Anne Boleyn. 1532, Henry VIII begins Reformation by passing all of these statutes to slowly create the Church of England. And in doing that, he marries Anne. You will note. His marriage with Catherine is not yet over. (laughs) He marries Anne. 1533, a year later, Henry and Catherine's marriage is voided. They are not divorced. I just want to be clear. Yeah. Voided by which church? By him and the Church of England. Yeah. Okay. Um, I just want to be clear because like the perception is that Henry divorced some of his wives. And that's actually technically not correct. Ooh, um, fun yeah. fact. Technically, actually, it's not correct. He never divorced any of his wives. So his marriage is avoided. The marriage is declared to never have been legitimate because she had been married to his brother. So, so, yeah. So voiding. Is this mm-hmm. the same as annulling? Or it's, is there a subtle difference? Case, yeah, it's basically annulling. They're okay. basically saying like this marriage was never legitimate because she was married to his brother, even though she staunchly denied ever consummating that marriage with the brother. They weren't <laughs> married for very long and they were both very young. So they okay. like habitated separately, which was like a lot of the time um, 
there would be, you know, it wouldn't be unusual to have someone as young as 12 get married, but they wouldn't Mm -hmm. actually consummate the marriage until they were much older. Fair enough. Yeah. (laughs) So she's basically downgraded from queen to um, brother's widow. And her daughter, Mary, is disowned from succession because the marriage was never valid. Therefore, Mary is not a legitimate child. Therefore, she is no longer in line for the throne. Elizabeth I is born to Henry and Anne Boleyn. This is still all 1533. Yeah. Anne has been pregnant many times, but she doesn't have any more living children. Henry and Anne fight constantly, as often happens with relationships that start from a game-playing kind mm-hmm. of perspective. They don't get along. They're both super jealous and they just fight all the time. Henry regrets leaving Catherine and refuses to be submissive. And that's one of the things that like he loved about her initially and now he hates it. The court doesn't like her. There's rumors that she's a witch. There's like all of these, all of these things that make her basically not a well-behaved wife woman queen which incidentally kind of makes her a little bit of like a hero for feminists today Um, she's a woman who used her sexuality to get ahead in the world good for you you go girl but sorry (laughs) you just set me up for a great pun if i'm correct was she ever beheaded yes (laughs) okay so she really did get ahead then she did get (laughs) and then she lost it yeah um So all of this, Henry starts having an affair with Jane Seymour, who is one of Anne's ladies in waiting. So there is a trend here. 1536. (laughs) So yeah, he he took lady in waiting quite literally then. Yes. He's like, line up who's next. (laughs) 1536, Catherine dies and Anne has a miscarriage of a baby boy. This kind of triggers, this is January 1536. This kind of triggers a whole domino effect where he just like, totally goes off by may he has five men arrested for treason accusing them of having a sexual relationship with Anne, and one of these men was her own brother Mm. um and then he executes them there's i don't believe there's any evidence that there was actually this extramarital affair happening or any of these but you know he's doing whatever he wants so maybe he should chill out um but basically he has these five men including Anne's brother executed Anne is arrested, accused of treason, adultery, and incest. And so, Henry has his marriage with Anne annulled. He claims that they never consummated it, which makes Elizabeth disowned (laughs) from the succession. (laughs) Because she can't be his kid because she's sleeping with everybody. Anne is sleeping with everybody, not the Mm -hmm. infant, just to be clear. (laughs) But that's basically, he has their marriage annulled. Elizabeth is out of succession. He executes Anne. So now we are on to the era of Jane Seymour. The day after Anne is executed, he's engaged to Jane Seymour. And um, Jane and Jane is number four. Jane is number three. Number three. Oh, we're only at three? Yeah, we're only good, at three. Good grief. And ten days after Anne is executed, they're married. 1537, Jane gives birth to a baby boy and then dies from infection related to childbirth. So the baby boy is Edward, who later becomes king. He is, of course, Henry VIII's pride and joy. Henry VIII is obsessed with two things throughout his entire life. Well, three things. His succession, like his legacy, who his throne's going to go to. Religion, he tangles with Catholicism and Protestantism and um, chasing them ladies. 
He loves the ladies. <laughs> so Jane dies. Next, we enter the era of Anne of Cleves. This is the second wife, Anne. Okay. 1540. He marries Anne of Cleves, even though he doesn't really care about her at all. They say that Jane Seymour was the only wife that he ever truly loved because she gave him a baby boy and he just sees everything with rose colored glasses. So, okay. You look like you have a question. Yeah. I think it's just the, the bits and pieces that I know not lining up with what you're saying, but I assume you'll get to that part. So I'll keep okay. listening. <laughs> so Anne of Cleves, he marries Anne of Cleves basically purely for allyship with the Duke of Cleves. So Duke of Cleves is Anne of Cleves uncle, I believe. And the Duke of Cleves later marries the daughter of the later Holy Roman Emperor Ferdinand the first. So he's a well-connected guy. And basically Henry the eighth is trying to get back into the good graces of the Catholic church. He's not trying to return to Catholicism. He just doesn't want them as enemies, mm. but the same year, he decides to annul the marriage because he wants to marry 17-year-old Catherine Howard. Anne of Cleves is a smart lady. She agrees. She's like, nope, marriage was never consummated. I agree. Also, she had been previously betrothed to somebody like before they got married. And so apparently because of that, it also causes issues. So the marriage was never legitimate because mm. she was betrothed to somebody at some point. So basically she agrees. The annulment goes through. He gets to marry 17-year-old Catherine Howard. Mm. We enter the era of Catherine Howard, which is the fifth wife. Okay. At the time. So hold on. How old is Henry at this point? This is 1540. Henry is 49. Okay. Is marrying a 17-year-old when you're 49 at this point super weird or just regular weird? Um, regular weird. Okay. Like, I mean, I guess he's the king and you can get married at 12, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's all very political. Yeah. It's not okay, to be clear. Mm -hmm. Yes. But it's pretty standard. So, Catherine Howard, you will note, okay, fifth wife. Second wife, Catherine. Um, they're married in 1540. You may know the name Cromwell. He did a lot of stuff. We maybe will have to save him for another day because his whole journey is a whole thing. He's like head of the council. He's, he's yeah. the big wig in charge after the king. So when Henry marries Catherine Howard, Cromwell gets really paranoid because Catherine is the niece of Cromwell's political rival, the Duke of Norfolk. So Cromwell is executed on the same day they get married. <laughs> so basically, Henry just really likes to take advantage of when people are in the same place for the same thing. They're like, you know what? Executing my ex-wife. Why don't I get married the same day? It just seems simpler. You're already here in dress. Same thing. <laughs> the day that he gets married to Catherine Howard, He's like, you know what? Why don't we just execute Cromwell? Because he's here. We'll get it all over with. <laughs> Make a day out of it. Yeah. Catherine begins having affairs with multiple people. Um, the 17-year-old. Yes. Okay. One of whom is Frances Dareham, who she was informally engaged to before the marriage. So when King Henry 
finds out about this, he calls Francis out in front of everybody. And Francis Francis basically goes, well, it wasn't just me. She's also sleeping with these other guys. (laughs) And reveals that she's been having an affair with someone else named Thomas Cranmer. Um, And both men are executed. Shocker. Yeah. Now, Catherine probably, according to the website I was looking at, probably could have gotten out of this a little bit better if she had pointed out that because she was in, informally engaged to Francis Dereham before she got married to King Henry, then Francis had a better claim on her. And then the whole annulment thing would have, she could have probably just argued for an annulment on those grounds, but she didn't. 1542, <laughs> she's executed. Ugh. Now we move on to the final wife, Catherine Parr. Sixth wife, third Catherine. <laughs> Is she the old one that had a track record of pumping out sons? No. Oh, yes, you're correct. Huzzah. Yes. So 1543, he marries Catherine Parr, who's a wealthy widow, and she is really cool. She (laughs) helps Mary and Elizabeth get back into the line for succession by encouraging Henry to pass the Third Succession Act of 1544. And at 1547, at age 55, Henry dies. So she outlives him, which means that she gets to be like dowager queen Mm -hmm. and hang out and be chill he had significant medical issues he was covered in pus filled boils he couldn't walk any longer because of a combination of his obesity and his many many health issues Mm. and he had a chronic infected jousting wound that he had sustained like a bunch of years before so there are a lot of theories about his cause of death but ultimately they're all related to the jousting accident and they also theorize like maybe the reason he had so many mood swings was because of this jousting accident maybe he had head trauma and all these different things relating back to that accident maybe he's just a friggin white guy who got handed everything in his life and he was the king and nobody ever said no to him and maybe that's why he was crazy but that's just my two cents wow i think that's crazy there's definitely (laughs) not still that happening today look at all the well-adjusted billionaires out there yeah yeah exactly you would never see a billionaire who acts like a child yeah yeah um he's buried next to jane seymour the only wife he ever loved Henry spent, like I said earlier, his whole life obsessed with getting a male heir and, you know, preferably an heir and a spare and (laughs) probably several other spares and swinging back and forth between Catholicism and Protestantism. He founds the Church of England to basically get a means to an end, making him the head of the church so he can do whatever he wants. But he spends a lot of his life really guilty Hmm. um, by not that he's not abiding by his Catholic Catholic upbringing. Um, and so it's just kind of like a constant oscillation between those two different sects of Christianity. Hmm. Now we move on to Edward VI. You may recall that I told you that this was a podcast about the shortest ruling. He person. did, yes. It wasn't Henry. Obviously not. It's not Edward. Oh, goodness. Uh, 1547, Edward, his only son, is nine years old and becomes king under regency per Henry VIII's will. So Henry VIII puts 16 executors of the will in place. The executors all vote to pick one of them to lead them. There are some issues with this. It's possible that Henry was manipulated into changing his will or that Edward as a little child was manipulated. 
Either way, just before and after Henry's death, there's a huge change in who holds the power in the courts. So sub subsection, we're going to talk about the Duke of Somerset and mm-hmm. Thomas Seymour. So Edward Seymour, who is the Duke of Somerset um, and is Edward's mother's brother. So Edward, who is now king, it's his uncle, Edward Seymour, mm-hmm. Duke of Somerset. He is named Lord Protector of the Realm. Mm -hmm. Mysteriously, all the executors who voted in approval for this uh, got payouts. So who knows what happened? By who? From him. Oh, okay. So basically, there's the 16 executors of the will. They're at a meeting. Only 13 of them are there. I don't know where the other three are. And they all vote to make him Lord Protector of the Realm. And then all of those people get titles and land and money. Mm Mm-hmm. Something stinks. Yeah, um, real real Game of Thronesy. Yeah. Thomas Seymour, who is the younger brother of Edward Seymour, also wants power. So he secretly marries Catherine Parr, the king's widow. 1548, Catherine Parr, her household includes 11-year-old Jane Grey, who's a new character, and 13-year-old Elizabeth, who later becomes Elizabeth I. Mm-hmm. And a very pregnant Catherine catches Thomas Seymour, quote unquote, embracing 13-year-old Elizabeth. Um, and she sends Elizabeth away. In the novel fictionalizations I have read, it's for her own safety. Some of them say it was jealousy. But either way, she separates the adult from the child. Catherine dies after childbirth, though, tragically. And Thomas starts planning to marry Elizabeth. But she says she won't agree until unless the king and the king's council allow it. 1549, Thomas Seymour is arrested for embezzlement, among some other stuff. And you guessed it, beheaded. (laughs) There's a lot of unrest happening right now, which often happens when a young monarch inherits the throne Mm -hmm. and there's all these grabs for power. There's war with Scotland going on. There's unrest and a bunch of revolts within England that are all religious based. Like Scotland is Catholic still. England is Protestant. Edward is a Protestant king. And there's a lot of rioting and uprising because of it. So within the same year, the Duke of Somerset, King Edward's uncle, Edward, (laughs) an older brother to Thomas Seymour, (laughs) is arrested for being ambitious, basically, <laughs> and giving King Edward bad advice. And basically, beheaded. he's arrested, yeah, for being a dink. And a guy named John Dudley instead becomes leader of the council. And the Duke of Somerset is, you guessed it, beheaded in 1552. I'll just put a little fun fact in here, just to break up the royal beheadings with i watched a youtube video a couple years ago maybe about execution just in general and modern execution and kind of the big takeaway from that was that we we think of like you know beheading and drawing and quartering and all those like medieval execution methods or torture sometimes like the you know the quartering Mm -hmm. as as like you know oh barbaric and senseless but (laughs) not so fun fact modern execution not that many countries still practice many you know Western countries still practice it, but it's not much better, apparently. Like, you know, the electric chair and lethal injection. Oh, electric chair is terrible. Yeah, and like lethal injection. Doctors don't do lethal injections because they're doctors, and that mm-hmm. violates the Hippocratic Oath. Yeah. So you, ha- you have, you know, Johnny from down the street, like, hey, 
you want to put some chemicals in this guy? Like, apparently, it's just absolutely terrible. Yeah. I almost think we should just go back to, you know, the good old guillotine. It's pretty quick. It's pretty painless. There's not a lot that can go wrong. Like, if, if ever I'm being executed, I want to be by guillotine. I have a fun fact on top of your fun fact. Please go. The last guillotining in France, I believe, was in within the last hundred years. Man, yeah, if you told me there Let was me a guillotining, I'll give you the number. Yeah, if you told me there was a guillotine yesterday in France, that wouldn't surprise me because France knows how to protest. They know how to riot. They know how to revolt. They know how to get stuff done. Last execution by guillotine in France. 1977. Okay, that is more Our recent. Our parents were alive. That is more recent than I, I would have thought. I wanted to say 1970s, but I, I second yes myself. Yeah. But this confirms. Yeah. Anyway. So, okay. Well, then when was the last execution in France? Was the last execution by a guillotine? Or did they um, try like firing squad or something for a little bit? I don't know. Um, It says September 1981, France outlawed capital punishment altogether. Okay. Um, So I don't know if there were other death sentences after that but that was the last the last use of the guillotine yeah interesting anyway so now we're on to jane gray who i'm pleased to tell you is the shortest ruling monarch in english history <laughs> yeah jane gray never heard of that most and sorry can you people haven't and can you recap for me who she is because oh, i'm gonna tell you yeah my, my mental map's gone i have a whole family lost. tree here oh, which good. we will also post on instagram um i love poor little jane gray because she's a child who is placed in a terrible situation like a lot of the people in this story are it's a lot of children who are getting manipulated by power hungry people in their lives so jane gray you will remember is was a member of Catherine parr's household why you may ask good she question was born in 1536 or 1537 she is the great granddaughter of henry the seventh who was Henry VIII's father, and she's first cousins once removed from Edward, Mary, and Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. First cousins once removed, by the way, refers to your cousin's child, just so you know. So her grandmother was Queen Mary of France, who is Henry VIII's youngest sister. I have a family tree. Um, I, I I don't think I can pull it up on the screen with this technology. Yeah. Um, but I yeah, that's fine. I mean, for the <laughs> listener's sake, I will keep asking questions. Yes. So basically, you have King Henry VII and a different Queen Elizabeth. They have four kids. Arthur, who dies. Henry, who becomes King of England. Margaret, who becomes Queen of Scotland. And Mary, who becomes Queen of France. Mary's granddaughter is Jane Grey. There's a bunch of other people yeah. in there, but we don't really yeah. care about them. So in 1549, Jane Grey marries Guilford Dudley. Guilford, great name, by the way. Guilford Dudley, who is the son of John Dudley, who you may remember, is the new leader of Edward's council. Mm -hmm. If you think back, the Third Succession Act of 1544 puts Mary and Elizabeth back in the line of succession after Edward. So it would go, if Edward didn't have any heirs, it would go Henry VIII. Edward, Mary, Elizabeth, blah, 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 on and on. So that's the order of Henry VIII's will. After Elizabeth, it goes to Mary Tudor's heir, which included heirs, which includes Jane. But interestingly, doesn't include Jane's mother, 
So I guess just uh, nobody cares about her. So Jane is in the line of succession, which is all that matters. But she's like down there. 1533, Edward is slowly dying. We don't really know why. It might be poison. It might be tuberculosis. It could be a lung infection. Yeah, Um, it was the old days. It just happened. Yeah. It's a long death. It's like six months. And he's just a young kid. He doesn't ever get married or have kids. And he's just spent his entire life being pushed around by these jerks. Mary is is his presumed heir. But Edward is opposed to Mary because Mary is is a staunch Catholic. Mary never became Protestant after her father invented the Church of England to divorce her mother, not divorce, to void his marriage (laughs) to her mother. Mary's super, super, super Catholic. Mm -hmm. So Edward composes a draft document titled My Devise for the Succession, (laughs) changes his father's plan by passing over his half-sisters, Mary and Elizabeth, on the grounds that they are illegitimate due to all the marriage stuff, and giving the crown directly to Jane Grey. This document is finalized before his death, but it's probably pushed through by John Dudley, head of the council, father-in-law of Jane Grey, Mm -hmm. although this is unclear. July 1553, Edward dies. Jane Grey, at age 16, is proclaimed the queen. They grab Jane. They stick her in the Tower of London, not the prison section, the section they live in. Oh, okay. Keep her protected. (laughs) And I never, I never actually knew. Yeah, I thought the Tower of London was just prison. No, Tower of London is like the fortress in which they live. And there's a tower that's a prison, but it's got a bunch of towers. It's also not just one tower. It's several. Wow. Yeah. I've been Um, lied to. I will uh, put out uh, another plug for a podcast that doesn't need us to plug them because they have so many more (laughs) listeners than we do. Um, But and that's why we drink. M. Schultz covers the hauntings at the tower of london and in doing so they cover uh the history of the tower of london Mm. from its building up to present day you can still live in the tower of london there are apartments there you can rent them wow what will they go for so they delay announcing the death of the king and jane to be the heir until they get her up behind walls mary immediately is not happy they took the crown away from her mother they changed the entire religion of the country by God, they are not doing the same thing to her. So she immediately comes out with strong support from the Catholics and has a large army. The Privy Council immediately backtracks. <laughs> They're like, oh, my B, you're right, you're queen. Because Mary shows up to the battleground with like 20,000 soldiers and they have 3,000 and they're like, right. No, you're right, though. I see it when you put it that way. <laughs> Allow me to reconsider. <laughs> so Jane's rule ends. After nine days, huh. Mary is proclaimed as queen. Does she, August, get, does, she, does she get a fun name? Like, is this like Mary, Queen of Scots? Oh, she gets a fun name. This is oh. not Mary, Queen of Scots. Okay. And I can tell you where Mary, Queen of Scots fits in. Okay. Mary's proclaimed as queen. August, a few short weeks later, John Dudley is executed. But Mary understands that poor young Jane is only a pawn. So they put her in prison I don't know if it's in the Tower of London. It's kind yeah. of like house arrest. Yeah, basically. I assume it's, it's that, that cushy kind of prison that you get in, yeah. in, in those times. Where it's like, yeah, you're in yeah. prison. They don't put her to death. So Mary I is also known as Bloody Mary. Oh, no. Um, Mary's age 37. She decides to marry Prince Philip of Spain, who is her cousin. 
on the grounds of her campaign, which I have called Make England Catholic Again. (laughs) In the first month, she promises not to force anyone to be Catholic, but by the end of the year, all of the Protestant church leaders are imprisoned, and there is a rebellion led by Thomas Wyatt, and then Jane's father also participates in this rebellion to put a Protestant ruler on the throne. Thomas Wyatt, Jane's father, Jane's husband, and Jane are all put to death because of this rebellion in 1554. Mm. And Elizabeth is put under house arrest because other than Jane, Elizabeth is the figurehead because Elizabeth is Protestant. They want to put Protestant ruler on the throne. So 1554, Mary believes that she is pregnant. She has all the symptoms. She releases Elizabeth from house arrest for support. They bring her to the castle around the time when Mary's expected to give birth. (laughs) Wait, sorry. They release... Elizabeth from house, house arrest to support Mary? Kind of to support. <laughs> and then also because if Mary and the child die in childbirth, the crown goes to Elizabeth. And so they kind of want to have her on site. That's okay. like the okay. standard procedure. Okay. They have like the next heir there. Okay. So that they're not just. Ill. I thought it was like, hey, girl, I'm sorry I imprisoned you for all this time. I could really use like a nice like friend in these trying times. It's kind of a little bit like that, too. <laughs> like Elizabeth does attend to Mary while she's on bed rest. Okay. Like keeps her company and brings her stuff and whatever. So by 1555, though, it becomes clear that Mary's not pregnant. There's something else going on. Um, she has all the symptoms, but it's false. It's possibly what we today would call pseudocyesis, which is basically what it is, like uh, pregnancy symptoms without a pregnancy, mm. which can be caused by psychological and hormonal factors. Um, Mary reinstates the Catholic Church, breaks the statutes to found the Church of England that, and other statutes that were created by Edward. 1557, she has another false pregnancy. This is possibly related to ovarian cysts or uterine cancer. In she dies from the flu. This brings us to 13-year-old me's personal hero, Elizabeth I, who is also known as the Virgin Queen. She becomes queen at age 25. As you can tell, there's a big age gap between Mary and Elizabeth. Yeah, because Mary's like, what, like in her 60s when she dies then? No, not in her 60s. She's... 37 when she becomes queen oh, in 1553. I thought you so said I thought you said she took the throne at like 57, but no, maybe I'm mixing like them up. She's like 52. She dies okay. right around the same age as her dad okay. did. Um so Elizabeth comes queen at age 25. She's Protestant, but she is religiously tolerant, keeps Catholic symbols. You can worship Catholic, you can worship Protestant, whatever you want, except she hates Puritans, but that's something else she's like they're mm. too extreme get mm. them out of here interesting other than that yeah because besides like they went to the states they wore buckles on their hats mm-hmm. i don't actually know what a puritan makes elizabeth was the reason why the puritans went to the states <laughs> yeah. you will note that this is right around you know late yeah. 1500s early 1600s so she has several suitors throughout her life she never marries she always says she's married to england She rules England um, throughout a period of relative peace, which is referred to as a golden age for 40 years until her death on March 24th, 1603. And concluding, basically, this period in history has such a domino effect on everything that happens. Um, Reformation, the foundation of the Church of England. If Arthur 
Henry VIII's older brother hadn't died of sweating sickness, we would not have Protestantism. Hmm. Uh, we would not have Protestantism, or we wouldn't have the Church of England. We wouldn't sub-branch. have the Church of England. Yeah, because I feel like the Protestant Reformation, like that, was already in the works. Like you know, Martin Luther. But it, it wouldn't look the way that it did today. Martin yeah. Luther, though was happening in a different place yeah, yeah. at a different time oh yeah so, and I, i'm I'm sure you know with, with how important you know which flavor of christian were you back then mm-hmm. was that that england being catholic instead of protestant but its own kind of protestant yeah that would definitely have repercussions it, it changes the face of england it changes the face of the new world um with the puritans and everything it crosses the period of shakespeare and it eventually leads to the joining of Scotland and England under James V of Scotland, uh, who was James I of England. So to let you know where Mary, Queen of Scots, falls under this. So I had mentioned one of Henry VIII's sisters was Mar- Queen Margaret of Scotland. She has a baby James V of Scotland, who later becomes James I of England because he inherits the throne after Elizabeth dies. And then... In that family tree is Mary, Queen of Scots. So she comes after James the hmm. What a mess. Yeah, it's all a big mess. Like I said, it's very like housewives, Kardashian-esque. <laughs> like, again, I don't think any of these people are good people. I feel really bad for all the children who are like caught up mm-hmm. in what is ultimately a no-win situation if you get through without being assassinated or executed, you done good. Yeah. And they get sweat I to feel, death when you're 20. Yeah. I feel especially bad for Jane Grey, queen for nine days, um, because she was so clearly just a pawn. You know, girls, for the most part, weren't educated. She probably did not have a whole lot of understanding about what was happening. She had no power to make decisions. But also within this entire time period are these women who are so interesting and powerful in different ways. There's all the wives who change England in their own unique way. There's Anne Boleyn, who is, you know, now, like I said, upheld as kind of like a villain that we all root for. There's Catherine Parr, who gets Elizabeth and Mary back into the succession. Um, There's Jane, like I mentioned, who's kind of just an unfortunate victim. There's Mary, who becomes a a strong ruler. And there's Elizabeth, who is remembered for a very long time as one of the best rulers in English history, because it was just this, this golden age. And so I think in reflecting back, and we're going to get a little deep here just for a minute. Oh, no. In reflecting back on why I felt such a deep connection to these stories growing up is I think as like a little girl who felt powerless in so many ways, there are so many powerful and interesting women to project onto who were all unique, fleshed out people who changed things in their own way. They're not like one dimensional figures. And I just think that's really neat. <laughs> that that's is... the end of my story for you today. Nice. What are your thoughts? How much of this did you know? Oh, I feel like I had, I've probably watched like YouTube video. Cause like the Jean Grey prison, Mary thing that kind of vaguely rung a bell. I don't think I knew that there was so much interconnection with Henry. I feel like 
when you talk about King Henry, it's him and the wives. That's kind of it without getting mm-hmm. into like the before after like you, like I find it interesting looking at the lives of these people, but of course I get more into like the systems of stuff. Like for example, at one point you mentioned that they married so-and-so of Aragon, which is more correct. Mm-hmm. And then later you mentioned that they met, that they married so-and-so of Spain. And I'm like, <laughs> um, actually there was no Spain back then because Spain, as we know it, didn't come into existing until like, I think the 1700s. But are you familiar with what a personal union is? No. Yeah. So I was going to lie, but you know. Yeah, yeah. No, because I find it so interesting that obviously we're looking at all this from today's lens in which countries are a thing. Like that's you know, so much of your life and your identity is dictated by the country or countries you hail from. Whereas and I'm not really sure where the line is, but I think a lot of this like King Henry stuff is on the other side of it where countries were less of a thing and it was more your lord and, and realms kind of stuff so a personal i mean a big portion of it is like the holy roman empire yeah. still exists so charles v is the holy roman emperor mm-hmm. but i believe and i may be wrong but charles v is of the line that eventually becomes Spain. Like he's that's why I'm referring yeah. to like Spanish. Oh, yeah. That's where Catherine of Aragon comes from. Oh, yeah. Is like this alliance with the Holy Roman Empire, which for our purposes, and Philip of Spain, who um Mary marries, is for our purposes the Catholic conglomerate, the Holy Roman Empire, because at this point, for this portion of history, the only players that you really need to know about are England, France. Spain, the Holy Roman Empire, and a little bit Scotland. Oh, yeah. But we didn't get into a whole lot of Scotland in this. Oh, yeah. I just use this as a a jumping off point to get into some other fun facts. Mm. Because, yes, he's king of the combined kingdoms of what are today Spain, Aragon, and Castile uh, in a personal union. And then just also is at the same time the the emperor of, of the HRE, which like today, like, can you imagine someone being elected as, you know, the prime minister of Canada and the president of the United States. Like, I I don't, I don't think there's technically anything stopping it. Right. Uh, And it would be so weird because you have these two countries that are, are very separate systems of government, but are kind of ruled by the same person. Uh, Obviously there's less power centralized in those Mm. two things, but yeah. I don't think you can rule. I don't think you can be president of the United States if you have dual citizenship. I don't know what dual citizenship, but yeah, I know you have to be a born American citizen. You can't be an immigrated citizen. Mm-hmm. So, but like, I don't think, well, yeah, no, because every time there's a Canadian election, you know, I feel there's a, a politician or two that is like, oh, well, yeah, I happen to also be an American citizen, but like, don't worry, guys, I, I totally have or will denounce my American citizenship. And they never do, mm-hmm. but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't think it stops you from running in Canada. So I think if you're an American, you could like born in America, you can run for American presidency and then come north of the border and be like, hello there. (laughs) And and then run for prime minister. Well, and of course um, we know, I mean, it's almost kind of similar in talking about this in the way that it functions in the King of England being the King of England and then also being the head of the English church. Like prior to that, the um, Catholic church is 
and almost, I would say, like equally powerful in some ways, more powerful than the monarch. Oh, yeah. And so in becoming head of the English church, he's unifying the state and religion. Yeah. And it's kind of similar today to like being the head of capitalism and being a billionaire and then also becoming the president of the United States. Yeah. It was so fun to do this one. A lot of this was stuff I had to look up basically the framework to get the years. <laughs> I could have told you everything else from memory. Had to get some of the names, all the Seymours and the Edwards and the Catherines all sorted yeah. out. But um, yeah, I just I, I think it's really interesting. I'm not saying they're good people. I'm not saying they made good choices. I think in a lot of ways, they're to be pitied. Even Henry VIII, the like tantrum throwing man child. I have a lot of pity for him and the world he lived in. But I just think it's super darn interesting. Yeah. If you like actually like living this stuff out, you should look at it's on Game Paths. Crusader Kings 3, I think is the most recent one, abbreviated to CK3. And it's it's basically just this, right? Like, you know, it's called Crusader Kings. You don't have to go off crusading if you just want to sit in your, your castle, because you basically play your line of succession, right? So you start off as whoever, and then when that character dies, you start playing as their heir, and so on and so forth. It's basically The Sims. Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of just The Sims on love, you know, eight hundred to thirteen fifty, you know, time scale. So wild. Yeah, you you might enjoy it. We'll into it after that you're done playing fun. grounded. And one really fun word I learned from that, and I'm curious if you know the word, is primogenitor. I know the word. I don't recall the definition right now, but that's definitely an Arts 1000 word. Okay. Because, yeah, because primogenitor is the right by law or custom of the firstborn legitimate child to inherit the parent's main estate or shared inher- or, or inheritance. And mm-hmm. so this is important in a game like Crusader Kings. And, like, I'm curious how it actually reflects in the real world, because obviously you gamify some stuff. But you have to, like, research and develop your nation or your your kingdom to the point where you have primogenitor because otherwise if if you're splitting your kingdom to all of your it's it's almost always sons to all of your sons upon your death well eventually you know when they have multiple sons that splits and splits Mm -hmm. and splits you're left with nothing so Mm -hmm. this is why through history you see all it's like man why are all these like brothers murdering each other it's like well you know he's got half my kingdom i need to Mm -hmm. murder him or else what am i gonna give to my sons (laughs) and also that's another one that was like a concern with only having female heirs Mm. but they get around it by basically um, a king can sit on the throne and when he marries his wife becomes queen if a queen sits on the throne and she marries then her husband becomes prince consort i believe he does not become king and that's how you know for example if if mary marries if mary marries philip of spain that's how you prevent someone a man basically from yeah. another country marrying into taking over well like like the late queen elizabeth ii's husband mm-hmm, the yes. late prince philip prince philip of yeah. greece maybe i believe he was greek yeah anyway that's all off topic yeah what's been into your follow-ups do well, you have any information yes, for me I, from last episode i do have a follow-up i did a little more research trying to find more conclusive evidence about ships being set on fire i, I still can't really find anything great uh, you know i haven't dug into like you know actual scholarly articles and research it's collections probably just but... 
why did this become um yeah. a thing that we thought happened? Dramatic flair. Oh, it's definitely dramatic, right? Like, you know, pyres and boats and burying boats, you know, it's an easy next step to jump. And like it does look cool. But the more exciting follow-up, maybe. I don't know, maybe it's the less exciting one. Remember or no, I don't even know if you asked this. I think I asked myself this, and now we're here. But we are talking about the gets. Yeah. Uh, talking about the Vikings raiding Paris and Charles, the whatever he was at the time, being like, hey, Viking guys, what if you stopped, you know, raiding and pillaging? And what if we gave you Normandy and some baguettes? I think was my comment. Yes. So when did baguettes start to exist? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, much of the history of the baguette is speculation. However, there were long stick-like breads of France that were becoming more popular during the 18th century. I feel like that checks out. Yep. So long, weird bread has been kind of a thing for France for a little while prior to that. There's there's like straight up creation myths for baguettes. <laughs> it's like, we don't know when baguettes became a thing. So, of course, in the absence... On the seventh day, God created the baguette. <laughs> Man, it, it might as well. Like, uh, where are there some here? Yeah, origin myths. <laughs> because of the history of the French baguette is not completely known, several myths have spread about its origin, such as Napoleon Bonaparte being like, we need bread of this exact specification to make it easier <laughs> for my soldiers to carry, and it's got to fit into this spot on their pack. Wild. Yeah. Interestingly, I'm not, because we think about baguette as being very French. However, it is, part of where it came out was this growl, I'm probably saying that horribly wrong, which is a highly refined Hungarian milled flour, and the Viennese steam oven baking. So really, if you ask me, this is more Austria-Hungarian than French, but I'll wait for all of our, our France viewers to write in angrily. <laughs> but We need to break into the European market. We do. The word baguette appears to define this particular type of bread in some regulation of some uh, like French regional government in August 1920. So by August 1920, the baguette, more or less as we know it exists, but I think it's safe to say that in 900 or 800 and something, there were not baguettes. Darn. I know. Well, that's all I've got. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this was a really long episode. Uh, so if you've listened all the way to here, thanks for sticking it out. And uh, we'll see you later. Yeah, I guess here's where we, we would insert some listener mail. I don't think we've actually gotten any yet but you know we've got more episodes that are going out that are actually being published so if you want to write in we can read things if you like this episode feel free to subscribe and leave us a review you can find us at fun fact collectors on instagram and twitter if you have suggestions for future episodes or just want to share your favorite fun fact feel free to send us an email at headnerds at funfactcollectors.com if you're interested in learning more about today's topic check out the show notes this has been Fun Fact Collectors. See you next week. See you next week.